Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Well, good morning, Grace. It's my privilege and uh, I'm appreciative to Pastor Benji who gave me permission to, to preach this morning because it's been my tradition for the last several years to preach a communion message the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It kind of gives meaning to Thanksgiving and the communion we had with our family and also the fact that Christ is coming back. His advent means his coming and we get to celebrate communion with him uh, for that too. And so I just appreciate this opportunity. But let's go ahead and commune with our Lord in prayer even right now. And Lord, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory because you have made it possible for us to come into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and then instituting this meal so that we can have fellowship, that we can have communion with you. Lord, remove from us right now those hindrances that would keep us from hearing your word. Forgive us for our sins and Cause us, Lord, to focus and to hear what you are saying to your people. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To start off, I want to ask a question. And the question is, what do these four things have in common? Shrimp, liver, pate, and mayonnaise. They ought never to be served or eaten by mankind under any circumstances. (laughs) Torture in many states carries the death penalty and is always morally reprehensible. So I hope you can join me in this. But even if you don't agree with my assessment of the quality of these food substances, I want to ask another question. And that is... Why is it that we always celebrate with food? In every culture I've been a part of, or every circumstance, every celebration has food in it. We barbecue, we eat at weddings, we even eat at funerals. Wherever we are, we enjoy our food. This should not surprise us. Buddha is always depicted as fat and happy. Because the opposite, skinny, until you come to the modern Western culture, is always associated with not having enough and therefore decidedly unhappy. I don't think we really need to spend a whole lot of time thinking about why we love food so much and enjoy celebrating with food. It's simply true from the bottom of our stomachs. The fact that God knows this and the fact that God surrounds all the ceremonies in uh, all the celebrations in the Bible with food should not celebrate us in the least. The Garden of Eden was a paradise of food. Immediately following the great flood, it was celebrated that it was over by permission to eat tri-tip and chili burgers. And the God-given covenant through Moses was celebrated by a feast 
of heavenly proportions. Listen to how it's described in Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They climbed this mountain. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. Three things stand out to me in this paragraph. If you see nothing else, you should notice what happens in verse 10. In verse 10, we see that there was under his feet, God's feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. All of Israel's leaders were sitting there eating, and God was sitting up there on some neon fire-floating thing. They didn't even know what to call it. I'm trying to picture what it would look like for a glowing blue hovercraft to a bunch of people living 3,500 years ago. This was otherworldly. It was unimaginable. The only thing that they can describe it as was crystals of sapphire. Now, actually, this is the least important of the three things I think we should notice in this paragraph. Probably the second most important thing for us to notice is that 74 human beings. These were sinful, finite, small, weak, marred men sat in the presence of God. They saw him. We see in verse 9, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Now it's troubling because only a few chapters later, in Exodus chapter 32, do we read this. But God said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. These men were given an intimacy with God that very few others in the entire history of mankind have ever experienced. And the mind boggling thing that we find is God offers you in a very narrow sense, but he offers you the same kind of experience on a regular basis. When we think about these leaders of Israel, we should remember what James said in James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. We have to remember that everybody we read about, except for angels and God himself, every person we read about in the Bible is just like you and me. They put their pants on one leg at a time. They doubt and they are frustrated just as often as you and I, if not more. They struggled with their wives. They fought with their kids. And yet, at least these 70 got to eat and drink with God. But let me tell you, 
what really jumps off the page in this paragraph is what we find in verse 11. Verse 11 says this. It says, And God, He did not lay His hand on the chief men of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Several years ago, I got a chance to eat lunch with John Piper, one of my pastor heroes. And I remember I didn't really care about the eating of the lunch. I don't even remember what it was that I ate. But what I was interested in was sitting down and asking him questions and listening to the questions of the other pastors who were gathered there. I just can only imagine what it must have been like to be sitting there with God himself. It must have been astounding. I, 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 I would have had a hard time eating at that moment. But, and this is what makes this passage significant for us today, the significant thing is that they ate and drank. You don't get more human, more earthly, more animal-like than eating and drinking. But my friends, listen, God is not ashamed of our weaknesses. He's not ashamed that he made us need food and water and sleep and many other things. In fact, God built our weaknesses into us so that we would know that we have to depend on God Almighty. Amen. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus is teaching us when he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Evidently, these leaders of Israel ate and drank what God provided them because there's no mention of anybody hauling food up the tall mountain. But the fact that God is willing to sit and eat with us sinful, finite, fallible, dull human beings is proven by this, by this meal, by this experience recorded for us. But even better proof than that is that Jesus prepared an even better meal for you and me. And he invites us regularly to eat it with him. When God welcomes you to eat, God welcomes you to live. Now before we can move to our celebration in a few moments with the Lord today, we need to look at what was going on in the context so that we can understand why these leaders of Israel were eating in the first place. Now, Exodus chapter 24 sits in the same discussion as Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments were given. We see in these chapters, Moses is going up and down the hill, and he's bringing news back and forth to the Israelites who were camping down at the bottom of the hill. And he keeps bringing these laws that God is giving them to, that they need to obey as they confirm this new covenant that God is giving Israel through Moses. And so the context of this supper celebration that is going on is that the Israelite leaders are eating with God as the inauguration, as the celebration at the beginning of a new covenant. 
This new covenant is the one that we know of as the Mosaic Covenant. Very often, it's simply called the law in the Old Testament. And it was one of the administrative covenants. It's one of the covenants that was given to kind of tag on to what we know as the Abrahamic Covenant, where in Genesis 15, God begins um, a relationship with a people as his people. We'll see that one of the reasons that you and I can celebrate today and we will celebrate in the future is that we can celebrate as the people of God. That's your first fill in the blank. We can celebrate as the people of God. So here, now we're in Genesis 15, we see that Abraham trusts the promise that God offers him. Now, God's promise to Abraham contained some very specific things. I think most important to him was the promise of children. Also included land and royalty would uh, come from him. Now, you and I are not promised children. That's not what we are promised, but we still can trust God's promises specifically that God will be with us. We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We can celebrate the promise of his approval because Jesus shed blood on the cross for us. We can celebrate his promise of grace and mercy. Now, we call the Abrahamic covenant, the creation of the people of God, because here is where God specifically drew the correlation, specifically lined up so we couldn't miss the fact that by trusting God's promises, we are being credited or declared righteous. And righteousness is the fact that God gives us a right standing, a right relationship with him. We find that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham here becomes the father of Israel. And then Paul tags us onto that. He says that he, Abraham, is also our father and the father of those who have the same faith as Abraham. In other words, if you trust God's promises in Scripture to you, then you indeed are one of Abraham's children. Now, it's true that God later clarifies his covenant of creating a people of God. We find that in Genesis 17. We find that in Genesis chapter 22. But here we find the beginning. We find the first promise of all the subsequent promises, including the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant under which you and I live. And we find that this is the basis, it's the foundation of these other covenants. Now, at the inauguration of the New Covenant, we find that in the first celebration of the Last Supper. I know. Think about that a couple times till you get it right. The first celebration of the Last Supper. Okay, I thought it was funny. I guess I've been up too many hours already. But we find there that Jesus confirmed God's love for his people. And we find in John chapter 13, verse 1, he says, When Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he 
loved them to the end. Now, what I want to ask is who are his own? Well, obviously, in the context of this verse, it's those people who are gathered with him at the first last supper. But it also, by extension, includes every single person who would believe the testimony of those who were gathered around. That's you and me. You want to know how I know this is true? Because we find it exactly in Romans chapter 4. Verse 22 says, That is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Remember, we just read that a few minutes ago in Genesis 15, 6. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But they were written for ours also. It will be counted to us as righteousness who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. The way Abraham became one of God's people by trusting God's promises to him, is the exact same way that you and I have God's righteousness credited to our account by believing his promises to us. My friends, when God welcomes you to eat at this table, you are welcomed by God to live. When you take of the elements here in a few short minutes, you will be celebrating with Jesus as one of God's people. God welcomes you to eat with him. Now, unfortunately, we're eating, our eating in his presence is by faith since we don't see him like the Israelites' leaders did in Exodus 24. Nevertheless, your eating with him at this table is a welcome to life, an invitation to experience life. You are invited to take part with him and every other person who has belonged to the people of God in a celebration of life that is based more than simply bread and juice. Our celebration of life is based on a close, intimate tight relationship with the living bread, with the living water, with the living God who is the resurrection and the life. It is not too much of a stretch to believe that just as eating and drinking gives you strength to go to work each day and to earn your living, that now taking communion with the Lord today will give you the spiritual strength you need to live before your co-workers who need to see, they, they have to see an example of someone who values something very much more than a paycheck. When God welcomes you to eat, you and I are welcomed to live You and I can celebrate the fact that you are one of the people of God and you can celebrate the promises of God. As I said a few moments ago, we are declared righteous. We are declared righteous or credited with righteousness in Romans 4.23. Righteousness is counted to us, is put into our account. 
And we receive the grace of a right standing with God when we, as it says in Romans 4.24, believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now Paul implies here in Romans chapter 4 what he makes explicit here in Romans chapter 8. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. My friends, Paul's point here is that if God is willing to give you his son to pay for your sins, how on earth is he not going to come through on the many other smaller things like life, his presence, forgiveness? How is he not going to come through on those things when he's already given you so much? The answer is, of course he will. In fact, we see this spelled out for us even uh, in another way in 2 Corinthians 1.20 where he says, For all the promises of God find their yes, or as the King James puts it, their amen in him. Now what are these promises that God calls us to trust? I'll give you just a very short list of them. Romans 10.13 says, For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you need to do is say, Lord, save me, and he will. That's true before you become a Christian, and after you become a Christian, you could do the exact same thing. Lord, save me. I'm facing this same problem I've had in the past. God, save me now. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another promise we find is in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you could bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. My friends, when you face a temptation, all you got to do is remember, Lord Jesus, I know this isn't just about me, but I can receive by grace a way of escape from you right now. God, give me that way of escape. And then... One of the all-time favorite promises of Scripture is Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you ever felt like you were in labor and heavy laden? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's the promise. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you are one who has trusted these promises, you can trust another promise that's implicit, but we find a very important promise in Romans, or excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul writes, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. What this is saying is if you trust in the promises of God and you come here today to this table, what you are doing is you are coming to partake in Jesus Christ, to accept, to receive his promises so that you will have strength, so that whatever you do, it can be done to the glory of God. Isn't that why we're here? Why we're left here? So that we can give glory to God in all circumstances. 
my friends, when God invites you, when he welcomes you to eat, you are welcomed to live. Now, I am positive that there are some who are sitting in these pews right now who are thinking something along the line of this. All these promises sound great, Pastor Greg, but they just haven't paid out for me. My life still stinks. If you only understood what I'm going through, if you only understood what is going on, you know what I have to say to that? You're right. I don't know what road Jesus is walking you down. But I do know something. If you have good reason for believing something is true, for example, the promises of God, but you aren't experiencing that truth, it may be that you don't really understand the promise as you thought you did. Talk to somebody who's near you, who's walked further down the road than you have. If you have good reason for believing something is true, like the promises of God, but you aren't experiencing that truth, it may be that you really don't trust the promises that you thought you did. Allow someone close to you to speak truth into your life so that you will be able to compensate by God's grace for your blind spots. If you have good reason for believing that something is true, for example, the promises we find throughout Scripture, but you are not experiencing that truth, it may be that you don't really want the promises like you thought you did. Take an inventory with God. Ask Him what you are allowing to get in between you and celebrating new life with Him. Because whenever God welcomes you to eat, you are welcomed to live. So start today. Talk to someone who has walked further down the road of faith than you have so that you can understand what the promises mean and what it takes for them to apply to you. Start today. Allow someone to put input into your life and don't push them away because they push your buttons. Your attitudes and your actions that you've guarded more closely than Fort Knox. Start today. Take inventory of your walk with God and ask Him to show your cherished sins. He will. You won't like it. But you can turn to Him so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You and I can celebrate today the fact that you are one of the people of God. You can celebrate the promises of God and then you and I can celebrate the righteousness of God. You'll remember in Exodus 24, the feast we looked at, we noticed that they saw God. We see that in verse 11. It says they beheld God. They, they held him in the grasp of their eyes. And they experienced, by grace, the exact same thing that you and I can experience 
by grace that is spelled out for us in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This holiness, or what the Bible commonly calls righteousness, means that we have a right standing with God. Righteousness means that all of our accounts with God are settled. They're taken care of. Righteousness means that our sins have been erased and in our accounting books with God, so to speak, God has added righteousness. Now, if we, if you and I are going to celebrate that righteousness in communion in a few moments, we ought to understand the basis of that righteousness or what Paul calls justification. Justification means that declaration of righteousness, that counting of righteousness to our account. And we find that in Romans chapter 3. We see there it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, displayed, Uh, made clear so that everybody can see it. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from the Old Testament, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. But the righteousness of God through faith, through trusting the promises in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now the celebration with Moses was based on the fact that God promised Abraham to make him and his descendants the people of God, God's people. And Moses' covenant was there to celebrate that God had chosen Israel to be the mediators, to be the ambassadors, to be the carriers of this promise until the Messiah should come. And Jesus, the Messiah who came, established the meal that we will celebrate in a moment. He did so by celebrating the final installment, the final declaration, the finishing of the plan of God declaring His people righteous through faith in His promises that began way back with Abraham, continued through Moses, and will continue through the new covenant until one day we celebrate the communion with the Lord that this communion anticipates. And that deserves an amen. Now you and I, by God's grace, not by anything we've done or not done, we are welcomed now if we belong to the people of God. We are getting closer now to our time. We are going to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And we can recognize while we're preparing for this time His enormous mercy and grace that God gave to you by crediting you or counting righteousness to your account. And right now, if you belong to the people of God, you are welcomed to celebrate communion for everyone who has trusted the promises of God. And just as eating, of which this small piece of bread and this small cup of juice 
gives us our physical body the strength that we need to continue to live with our heartbeat and our brain waves. So eating this food and the spiritual food that this represents enables us to live in an entirely different way. Now, there are are many examples I could have chosen, but the one that I chose, I've asked the guys to put up some verses to kind of scroll through slowly as I finish my sermon, but I want you to see some of the promises of God that you can live by. And as these promises scroll through, what I want you to do is I want you right now to remember a sin. God will bring a sin in your heart to mind that has held on to you probably for years, maybe for decades. And though we may be repulsed by that initially, we think, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to the shame and the guilt. We recognize that God, through these promises, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, erases that shame and that guilt. And that now you can remember that sin. You can remember the grace of the great God who loves us and gave us forgiveness of that sin as you eat with him. Do you really want to live? Do you really want to experience those promises that are greater than physical life? If you have trusted God's promises for you in Christ, then the filth of that sin is wiped clean. If you have trusted God's promises for you in Christ, then the record of that sin is blotted out. The penalty of that sin is paid. The guilt of that sin is forgotten. The ugliness of that sin is obscured. The cost of that sin is covered. And if you have trusted God's promises for you in Christ, the death of that sin is nailed to the cross. Amen? If you have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, then you are forgiven. And you can come and celebrate communion with the Lord with the heart that is freed to worship, to sing, and to dance to the glory of God. Lord Almighty, we come to your table We come to your table as forgiven sinners, as ones who can celebrate what you have done for us and are so thankful for it. God, give us this grace. Be with us now. God, I pray that right now we would take a moment or two to remember our sins and then to remember your forgiveness your grace, even right now. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.